This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. Our speaker for t- this evening is Allison. She will now speak for 20 to 25 minutes sharing what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Please help me in joining and welcoming Allison. Thank you for having me. My name is Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Um, I've been in program a little over three years. I uh, came in when I moved here from North Carolina. I didn't have money for therapy, so I thought program might work for a little while. Still here, which is great. Um, In terms of my abstinence, I have two years and five months and like three days of my abstinence, which is weighted measured food that is called in. I have two years and seven months of not binging and purging, which is kind of my major go-to disease. Um, I'm going to start off with what happened, or what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, And just a a quick fast forward to what it's like now, I do stand-up comedy as a result of this program, which is pretty amazing. It's something I've always wanted to do, but never really felt like I could do it, or the fear, and there's something about the three-minute pitch, and then when people laugh in the room, so you think, maybe I really am funny, let me embrace it and go with it. So... Um, back to what it was like. So I grew up uh, with a family of compulsive overeaters. Um, my grandma apparently was diabetic, and she would eat whatever she wants and uh, would starve three days before going to the doctor, so her blood sugar was normal. You know, So that's kind of the, the go-to. I heard stories of how my uncle used to eat all of his food and throw it up. Um, whenever my mom was nervous, she would eat her food, and then every so often she'd go to the bathroom, cough, 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 because she was overwhelmed. Um, my dad was 330 pounds, 340 pounds before he passed away. Um, my brother was five years older, and I wanted to be like him, so I would try to eat as much as he did. So I don't want to say it's, it's in the genes or it's not or whatever it is. I didn't really have a chance. So what I can feel really grateful for is that I have a program now. Um, I grew up with food being my coping mechanism. When I was 9 or 10, I was really intelligent and, and thought a lot but didn't really have friends. And then puberty came on, and food just seemed like a really great option. Who doesn't want another cookie? Who doesn't want the whole tray? You know, but there's that weird disconnect where what is one becomes so many, and then you have the stomach ache. And then slowly you see a TV special about some girl throwing up in the bathroom thinking, I can do that, which is so not the intention of those after-school specials, by the way. But somehow that... (laughs) (laughs) I extracted what I wanted to. I was like, oh, that ending, that's fine, it's fine. I don't need the outpatient program. Um, So I started doing that when I was was 12 and kind of have done that for the last... um, until three years ago, actually. So for most of my life, actually, more than half my life, I have, whenever I feel nervous, whenever my mom is around, whenever something in life gets way too overwhelming, I make a weird conscious decision where I want to eat right now, or it's not even a thought, it's just I eat, I pick up food because I don't want to feel, because feelings are just way too overwhelming. It's just, it's too much, because it's like a, like a tidal wave coming and there's no way I can hold all of this, because there's just, there's too much fear. I'm not attractive enough, I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not funny enough, I'm not going to be taken care of, my family isn't right. The future, I've already fucked it up, pardon my friend with the internet here. I've already messed up my future because I'm not where I need to be. Because in elementary school, I had to do this, so middle school, so college, so when I graduate, so I can get this investment banking job, so by 23 I'm married, so I can have a child, so I can go to grad school, so I can already be old. You know, like I have this, this thing in my head. My disease is so mean. Like, cruel, even. It tells me I am so not even okay that there's no point even trying. You already lost. Eat the food. 
you know, and, and what kind of sort of happened, I don't know. I realized that this is a problem. I kept reading books about eating disorders. I've read so many books about bulimia. I understand the mind I have where I shut people out or I'm afraid of my sexuality or it's some weird form of intimacy. It's great. I can intellectualize it all I want. If you're a psychologist, you can't unmake someone crazy. That's not going to stop me. You know, what I needed was other things. I needed tools. I needed a food plan of someone to tell me, here's what you're eating today. Let's make a decision before you're in front of it. Because if you're in front of it, you're like a child driving a tractor trailer. You are not able to make conscious decisions at a fast food place of what you need to eat. You can't look and start eating and think, oh, I'll stop when I'm full. There's nothing in here that really tells you when I'm full. I'm working on it now. I'm trying to figure out like what's full, but it's figured out before me. I saw a nutritionist years ago. Got an idea of what food plan is. I followed the the sheet in there. It's funny. Um, the Dignity of Choice has some great models that I never actually read. I said I read them to my sponsor. Totally lied. Which is which is so funny about program is I lie all of the time. Um, the only people who don't you know get the program are people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest. I was really afraid I was in, unconstitutionally incapable of being honest because I don't want anyone to not see how great I am because I need to lie all of the time. I need to, I spilled something on the rug, it wasn't me. It was Elf, my imaginary friend. It was, this happened wasn't me. It was never me because I was afraid if I actually said it was me, I'd get in trouble as opposed to lying about it, feeling shame about it, eating over it, then eating over the shame. There's so many freaking layers. It's like, um... Geology, they have those the pressure of the rocks where you can see all the layers. There's so many layers. And what happened was my life was just too much. You know, and the idea of coming into program and facing this, why in the world the hell would I want to go through my past and go through all of the things I feel shameful about? Why would I want to do a fourth step? Why would I put all that stuff in a book and then read it to someone? Are you crazy? Let me just stick to step nine, let me make my apologies, let me move on and be fixed. There should be some kind of fast forward program. But they're in order for a reason. So, um, Yes, I need to slow down. I get a little wrapped up sometimes. Um, very excited about program and my disease. Um, and I, what I love, actually, is about the fact this program, I don't have to show up here and tell you how perfect I am. You know, I can tell you that I have a belly roll right here. It's not horrible. You know, my highest weight was 210 pounds. I'm 157, maybe 158 today, depending on where my period is. I really want to be a few pounds lower. But you guys aren't here looking at me as some diet guru. I'm not here to tell you I've got the answer. I'm just telling you, what happened, where I am now, and what I did, which is following all of this stuff, following the steps, following the tools, following the traditions, and I'm going to work, start working on the concepts eventually when I get there, but just really showing up. Um, you know, high school, babysat, ate their food, tried to level off the ice cream, college, took advantage of the all-you-can-eat food places. Um, after college, my dad, unfortunately, passed away my senior year in college, which is really difficult because um, it was because of the food. You know, he was throwing it, you know, he had cancer, he had a stroke, but it was really his overweightness that caused the multiple system organ failure. You know, he took my first program meeting when I was 15. I sat in the room with him. It was like five people in North Carolina. It's really small. Um, and I remember people were got up and they talked and then there was just silence. You know how we had like a few minutes of silence? It was like 20 minutes of silence. It was painful. It was painfully exaggerated silence. And I kept feeling this urge where I wanted to go up and speak. I wanted to say something, but I didn't know what I wanted to say. I couldn't verbalize it. I wasn't ready yet. And what's interesting is in program now, I can be kind to myself and say, I wasn't ready at 15. I was ready when I was ready. My higher power has a time frame. He's got this like thing, this map. I just can't see it. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know what's the next thing. Where am I going to live? I've, I've moved four times in the last like year, year and a half. And I might have to move again in a few months. 
I don't know. I don't have to know. I can trust that my higher power has some apartment for me and has fellows and people who care about me who will help me move. I will figure it out. I will not be on the side of the road. I will not be in a cardboard box. I will be taken care of. I have to trust that. And I can trust that, and then I can say I'm afraid, and I can say I don't trust that. That's the whole third step. It's a struggle. It's my higher power and I are wrestling. I think I handle it, and then I say, oh, maybe it's I can't handle it, and then higher power needs your help. And my higher power is okay with that. Um, so I'm really jumping around. Uh, so after college, I took a job selling cars for two years. Not a really good plan for me. Um, men in North Carolina who were not the most gentle, after my dad died, when I happened to be crying, you know, dirty jokes, really hostile environment, but my disease loved it, thrived and it thrived. And are you good enough? Are you good enough? How many cars have you sold today? And then also an opportunity to have fast food, opportunity to have all this free time to go in the back and throw up, opportunity to have an inappropriate man hit on me and have something with him. Um, and I realized in the midst of that, that I read somewhere that if you have this disease by the age of 25 or have bulimia, you're going to have it the rest of your life or the, the likelihood of it being very high for the rest of your life. So I did an outpatient program, which helped me. For the three weeks I was there, I didn't throw up. Since I left, I was back into the food. Didn't fix me. You know, so I decided to do a geographic to San Francisco, moved here, didn't have money, didn't have a job, went to program. Went into my first meeting. Um, and then it just seemed really interesting. It reminded me of Fight Club. They have those, they talk about 12-step meetings, I think, in there, or the, the when you're dying. People really listen. I felt like people really listen in these rooms. They hear what you're saying. They see you. You don't know someone's last name. You don't have to know where I live, where I work. But you can hear me. You can hear, like, my life sucked. You know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't understand myself. I had never been with anyone romantically, and I was afraid that there was something wrong with me. I'm afraid that if I don't have a certain body, I'm not going to be okay. And the fear is, what if I have that body and I'm still not okay? What if I don't get what I need? What if I'm not the person I'm supposed to be? What if I'm wasting my potential? What if I have greatness in me? And, and it's just about, at this moment, let's just slow down. You know, I have to slowly ask my higher power to come in and my sponsor like the thing about having a sponsor you talk to every day her voice gets in your head at a certain point you pause and you know what she's going to say so you're like you might as well just take that action anyway because she's going to pound it in your head later on <laughs> you know so it's great so i came to the rooms um started trying the program you know they people keep talking about no sugar no sugar i was like i'm, I'm fine with sugar i'm fine with sugar i'm fine with alcohol you know how many times do i have to keep trying and experimenting you know, and I tried making agave nectar muffins one time. Really? Really? That, that's the way to go? Like, yeah, sure. Like, there's just certain foods. I'm not going to say I can't have it, but maybe it's not a good idea for me to have it. Maybe it's not a good idea for me to have pancakes. Maybe it's not a good idea for me to have, you know, certain things that are baked and fried and sugared. You know, for today, is that really my life? And that's what happened in program is when I came in, when people said, you're not supposed to have it, I was terrified. I was like, do not take away my cupcakes. Are we allowed to mention specific foods? Because if not, I'm in trouble. Um, do not take these things away. You are not taking away my wedding cake. I'm allowed to have wedding cake when I get married. There were all these things, this future fear of like, what if I don't have it? And the idea of for today, what would it look like if today you had a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner that didn't include sugary substances, that didn't include things that were deep fried or things from a fast food place? What would it look like if you planned it in advance and you told someone? And I usually have a fun little, um, when I speak, if that's earlier in the day, 
I show you all my food. I'm like, here's lunch, here's breakfast, here's dinner. And I, everything, I'm a Tupperware girl now. I didn't realize that this would happen, but I'm proudly a Tupperware girl, except sometimes they get kind of gross because I don't clean them as thoroughly. But the day before, because <laughs> I'm whatever, um, in my refrigerator, I have my breakfast. I have like four of them in a row. I do like four or five at a time because if you're measuring for one meal, might as well measure for all of them. You got the measuring cups out. You got the food out. Just measure, measure, measure. So I do like four or five days worth of breakfast. And then I do, I make these large vats of soup in my crock pot. I just throw stuff in there, vegetables, split peas, and then I cook overnight. I love it. Throw some cheese and some protein in there. That's my meal. It's my home-cooked meal. And then I do veggie stir-fries. So the bottom of my fridge, I actually need to only have one roommate because otherwise a fridge will not hold three people's food when I'm, I do enough for th- like two or three people. But I have my little Tupperware village. It's amazing. It's like when I wake up, I don't have to think, what am I having? I just grab container one, two, three, throw it in my bag, I'm done. You know, what would it look like if I was my own meal planner? And that's what it is. So for tomorrow, I already know what I'm going to have because I've been eating the same thing for years. I might switch up the protein. I might switch up this or that. But I will call my sponsor and tell her. And before I eat my food, I will either write her an email or a phone message and say, here's what I'm having. And it gets pretty dry, and she doesn't even care. I don't think she even checks her messages. But for me, it helps me know that someone else heard it. You know, I'm like, I'm changing. She's like, I don't care. Because um, someone else knows. So I am not in charge anymore. So if I need to make a change, which I try not to, I will let her know. So I'll make her change if actually my food falls on the ground. And I'm not sure if any of you guys are like me with this, but when my food falls on the ground, I get really sad. And most of the time, I try to pick it back up. Like if there's, there's a, I had raisins at work, and they fell on the floor, and I like tried to squish them over so I could hold them onto them, and then later on, want to blow them and eat them because that's a compulsive behavior. That's like everything. You can let it go, but for me, it's like I lost a child. I was like, you are not taking my raisins away from me. They are mine. You know, and slowly when I drop food now, I'm like, okay, so someone else can have that. Or maybe I wasn't meant to have that one. But there's still moments, like for a second, I want to cry inside. I'm like, that was my food. I only have so much. Because the scarcity is there. I am not going to be okay. I'm not going to survive today if I don't have that one carrot. You know, and I have to shove it in the container. You know, it's like for today, can I just show up? Can I know that I'll be okay no matter what I eat? No, because I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm always afraid of food. So what can I do? Well, I can I can use the steps, which is step one. I am powerless over food, so I should not be in the driver's seat when it comes to food. I should follow the pamphlets. I should read the literature. I should do what people tell me to do because they might know better than I do. I go to this one meeting on Thursdays. There's ladies who've been in program 35 years, 35 years of abstinence. My sponsor said, go to that meeting. And I was like, no, no, no. I go to it. I want what they have. I want to be one of those like golden girls. Except in my fantasy, I'm like eating cheesecake. But for today, I'm going to be a golden girl who sits around and kvetches. Kvetch. My Yiddish is a little rusty. Kvetches. Um, I'm powerless over food, and my life is becoming manageable. I don't want to admit that my life is unmanageable. But when I'm hiding food from my roommates, and when I'm throwing up in bathrooms, and they can hear me, when I can't really manage my life, when I don't want to show up for other people, when I'm at a restaurant, and I'm waiting for my meal to come out, and I'm not listening to anyone else says, and I'm looking at their food and wondering what I should have, or... I was once, um, the, the college I went to reached the final four, and we were at a sports bar. And everyone, most of the people had eaten their food, and some of them had left their plates. Instead of watching the game, I was eyeing their half-eaten plates, thinking, can I take their plates to the bathroom with me? Is there some way that I can take their old french fries and burgers? Like, how can I, how can I pull this off? Like some kind of crazy MacGyver James Bond. Because if, if there's nothing better than food, it's cheap, it's free. That, that's the thing for me. Like, on the side of the road, when I see food, I still look at it for a second. I look at it, and I say, it's okay, awesome, let's keep walking. Not that I was actually going to eat it, but the temptation of like, what, what is it? What is it? Can I have it? You know, I don't have a healthy reaction to food. How many reminders do I need that I am not normal like that? And that is it possible that that's okay 
If I was allergic to something, if I had cancer, if there was something that just happened to me, I didn't do anything that caused this disease. I didn't create it. I didn't have one too many cookies and it snapped. It was already there. It just got activated or it didn't. And it was activated. If you look at my family tree, it's already going to be there. I have no choice. I just need to make sure my kids are program approved. It, it'll be okay though. You know, and then, and two, came to believe that a higher power, you know, restored me to sanity. I have issues with God because I think God took my dad. So I believe that there's an energy out there in the universe. And there's times at meetings when you can feel that energy. You can feel that love. You can feel something. So I said, you know what? That something is my higher power. And for today, I'm going to trust that that something is going to take care of me. I don't know how, what it'll do, what it'll happen, what it'll be, but it will take care of me. You know, and it, and it kind of does. You know, imperfectly, my higher power has not dropped me. I've gone through job changes. I've, I've been promoted. And then my boss was laid off two months ago. I'm now doing her job and my job. And I'm supervising 30 cranky salespeople. I don't know how to coach. I don't know how to motivate. I don't know how to do any of these things. But ironically, program has taught me through sponsoring, through being an intergroup, how to kind of lead stuff. I have gotten the tools in a weird and inadvertent way. Program has given me the gifts. Step three, can I turn my life and my will over to my higher power. Can I trust that maybe for today, I won't have a new job tomorrow. For today, I will eventually have some guy out there who I will like and who will like me. And we will both like each other versus the one-sided thing, which is always feels like he likes me, must like him back or must win him over so he wants me. You know, I will eventually have what I need. But for today, I don't have that. And I actually gave myself the gift, called a gift, and it is a gift, of one year of not dating. And I actually extended it to a year and a half. Because for some reason in my head, I thought once that year is up, I must go out and have sex, which is not what it says, you know, but that denial, denial, like, oh no, I'm denying myself. I should really have, no, no, no. I think I want time because I deserve in my life to have enough food and to have enough relationships where they need to be, where I'm okay and taken care of. Uh, step four, made a written inventory. I wrote down everything I, I did. I, I, um... Stole food. Who hasn't stole food? Um, I cheated in college tests. I um, would misuse um, very generous return policies at department stores. Um, I kind of inadvertently, with a weird story, my married boss who sexually harassed me, um, I didn't know how to say no. It's not clean. But I was with him for two years. You know, and later on at 8 and 9, wrote letters I never sent. Um, what are other things? I just stole so much food. I lied. Destroyed carpets. Um... Not a good roommate, not a good friend. Um, I've, I've just done all of these things I was not proud of. And I was so afraid if someone actually saw this. If I was naked in front of someone, would people still look at, like, wouldn't you have pitchforks and run and, and, and banish me if you found out what kind of person I really am, which is human, which is not perfect and not okay. But I'm human and I'm okay. So I read it to my sponsor, and she didn't yawn, but she was like, okay. And I left, and I was like, where's the epiphany? Like, where's the, the release? And slowly it sunk in, like, maybe I'm okay. And then six and seven is like, what are the things that came up in four and five? What are the, the major things? I'm a perfectionist. I'm a control freak. I procrastinate because I like to do it perfectly and then not do it at all. Um, I don't like myself most of the time. Um, what are the other really juicy ones? There's a couple of different ones. Um, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid, you know, the, the core ones. And then after having them, realizing, did they serve me? How do they not serve me? Seven is interesting because it doesn't say we get rid of them. It asks, we, we ask for them to be relieved from us. So there's still some of them I, I suffer from. And the part in the stop actually says they might come back. If they do, that doesn't mean you did something wrong. It just means they might come back. It just means we pray to have them relieved again. And every day I need a reminder to slow down. You know, and not hold everyone else to my unrealistic expectations. Because I work so hard, I think everyone else should. 
and the people who work for me, I think that they should work as hard as I do. But they don't have to. That's not something that they agreed to, which is interesting new insight I'm getting. Um, eight and nine, making a list of these people. Step nine, putting them on note cards and actually calling them and contacting them and apologizing. And keeping it really short and simple. I was wrong. I did this. I'm sorry. No talking. No explaining. No, this was justified in that way. No. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And repercussions. Here's a check for the money. Here's me saying I'm sorry. Contacted that college professor and said I exceeded on the final. Worried that he might contact someone. My, you know, graduate degree might be, not my um, undergraduate degree might be revoked, which didn't happen. But being willing to show up and say, I did these things. And I'm imperfect and I'm sorry. And I want to be clean now. And I have living amends now to make to my dad. I used to make him the food that he liked because I knew that we could binge together. could be binge buddies. Um, to my mom for not being as kind and loving and understanding to her as I could be. And I still struggle with that. Sometimes I still have to have the phone away from my ear when she talks. And I have to say the St. Francis prayer and I have to pray for acceptance and to love her and not 12-step her. Because I want to. Oh, I do. I do, though. And I tell her these things and she's like, oh, you're so insightful and wonderful. And I then say, do you know how I got this? The 12 steps. Oh, no, no. And it's the, why should I do it when I have you? Because you're the Cliffs Notes. And for me, for a day, that's, she can take what she likes and leave the rest. It's not my job to fix her. Ten, writing inventories. And I brought my old journal. So, and my current one that I'm using. So, you know, I write down the third step prayer. I'm, I offer myself to the, you know, higher power, please break me down, build me back up again. What am I grateful for? What am I afraid of? What am I affirming? You know, for me, it's always, I have enough, I do enough, I am enough, because I don't think I am. My higher power has a plan for me. I don't know what it is, but my higher power has a plan. Um, good enough is good enough. I just need to show up. My higher power will do the rest. And there's a fun one that's like just um, show up and shut up, which is funny because you can't do that when you're a speaker. You actually have to talk. So I thought that, that one didn't apply. Um, who I resent, you know, my roommates, guys, what the situation is, what it affects, and then what's my part? You know, am I just having unrealistic expectations? Am I afraid of what others think of me that's a big one for me now you know and sometimes I do higher power dialogues where I'm like higher power what is your plan for me what is your plan tell me tell me you know and then just write down what I did for my program today you know and usually it's reading the morning literature sometimes I double up days so there's four today voices of recovery they're all great you know and then once you start using them enough they get the weird like discolored food stains on them but they're all abstinent food and they get beaten up I love them I love my books I have a big book I brown bag and it's awesome um, you know, so I do my literature. I try to read that in the morning. I usually make a couple phone calls on the way to the train. I commute for about an hour and a half each day. Sleep on the train. Um, I have a daily check-in with my sponsor. I have four sponsees right now. I like to juggle people. I like when people call me. So if you have sponsees, they call you. They tell you what's going on. Sometimes I don't. And that's sad. Um, but it's their program, not mine. I'm not their higher power. So I'm getting new insight with that. What else do I do for my program? Um, I go to meetings. I do, you know, four to five a week. Um, I do service. Um, I'm actually intergroup chair. You know, I like lead the monthly meeting. I did it last year. And I'm doing it again this year. Before that, I was vice chair. I don't say no to service. So when people ask me to do things, I'm like, sure, why not? You know, if it's a speaking engagement, let me just check my schedule. But there's no reason not to show up. Like, let's put out chairs. I want to collect the treasury. It makes me have to go to meetings. It makes me show up and be accountable. And when I do these things, I do these esteemable acts, I get self-esteem. And I can feel really proud of myself. You know, and something I struggle with is after the meeting, talking to people. Because I just want to run away. I want to be like, I don't want to run people. Because once you share, you feel all raw and exposed and open. What if someone talks to you about it and, like, wants to know more about you? I'm like, ah. You know, I like to drop and run. And that's what this program was for a while. And then I'd have to force myself to, like, let me meet someone new. Hi, how are you doing today? And I get phone numbers. And I call people. Oh, 
I got a new phone. I have 450 numbers in my phone. At least 200 of them are OA members. I have mem- like numbers of anyone in case it's like my own little library of people. Who do I want to talk to? What do I want to discuss? And you have a name, so your OA, and then your name, and then there's some characteristic about you, whether you've got curly hair, or if you shared a meeting, or if you're a great hugger. There's one girl on my phone who's like, I saw her this certain day, and hug after her name, and then so-and-so. And then I put months when I meet them, which is hard now, because it's the years have lapsed, so I wonder if they're still new or not, or which person they are. So it'll say so-and-so new, and I'm like, was that years ago new? I called a fellow, and she actually left the program a year ago, and now is pregnant, but I made a program phone call. You know, it's just funny how I have that in there, so I have this library of people I can reach out to. And if I call them before times get tough, that means I can call them when times aren't tough, and I've already made that bridge. And if not, people in program, if you call them crying, they're good. Usually they'll take the call. If someone ever called me like that, I'm like, what's going on? You know, like it's just, you know, there are these moments in life where it just feels like it's too much. And what tools can I use? Can I go to a meeting? Can I write? Can I pray? Can I call my sponsor? Can I make phone calls until my ear falls off, until I, I stop getting voicemails, until I get a human being to check in with them? You know, and part of that is step 11, which is prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with my higher power, which is so vague. But it's really just reading the literature and in really, really tough moments. And my every day, I say, higher power, this is too much. Please take it. And I have a got you box. And whenever there's things that are too big, throw it in there. And every so often, um, I'll burn all the stuff in there to cleanse myself. And then step 12, showing up at meetings, talking to people, being of service, carrying the message. Because I don't really think I'm the message. I like to think that I'm not the message. But if I have recovery for today, if today I ate the food I was supposed to, you know, I haven't thrown up. I try to be a good person, do what I can. But even if not, we all have seats in these rooms. There's still empty seats. There's people out there who need to be in the rooms. And for today, they don't want to be. So we can feel grateful that today we are. And I've been coming to meetings. I did a, a seven months straight, which was just amazing to see more people and to get connected and to try meetings and to have it all sink in and just to show up and to turn it over and to say, it's not up to me today. It's not my job to keep me abstinent. It's my higher power's job, but it's my job to do the footwork, which includes eating what I'm supposed to, calling someone if something gets really sexy and tempting, writing down what are my feelings, because that's what I'm so afraid of. It's the feeling of hunger. It's not a feeling. There's fear underneath it. Where does that fear come from? And and is it something I can turn over? You know, what's the worst that will happen? Um, so for today, as a result of program, I do leadership. I have a job where I show up and I'm on time and I don't eat the food in front of me. Uh, and I'm nice to people most of the time. Uh, I'm dating, which is really interesting and new and exciting because before this I never have. And I'm doing it abstinently, cleanly, with food and with the men. Because I'm like, I call them my, my food stuff, or my, my sex stuff, by the way, because for me I like boundaries. Um, and I have a relationship with my mom and I, I like myself most of the time and it's just interesting to be able to you know, show up in the world and say like my good enough is good enough and all I have to do is just stand up and I don't have to fix any of you I don't have to be the perfect share I just have to be here and just be who I am and you can take what you like and leave the rest and newcomers I do not speak for OA I'm just one person who's in the rooms and if you have questions I'm here so thank you all for being here